13 this morning. Hebrews chapter 13, I need to tell you that today's uh, message will not be appropriate for anybody under about the junior high age. There will be some disturbing images that you'll see and some strong language, uh, some graphic things. So if you have a child in here under junior high, you need to please escort him or her out at this time. Today will not be like any other day in that it's a very special day on the church calendar. Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. The International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. We celebrated this last year and we're going to celebrate it again this year. It will be different than a normal service. I say that for those of you that might be here visiting. Maybe it's your first time or something like that and you wanted to see what it's like here. Today will be different. It will be awesome and wonderful in my opinion, but it will be different. So just hang in there and trip out. For those of us that are family... This is a very, very important day on the church calendar for us. I want us to begin to look at Hebrews chapter 13. Start reading in verse 1. It says, Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect showing hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Now verse 3. Remember the prisoners as those in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. I want you to hear what the Word of God says. Again, today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And the command of the Word of God to you and I is that we would remember those imprisoned for their faith. We're to remember them as though we were with them. Because in a sense we are. You understand that we are the body of Christ. We are one body under the head Christ Jesus. And so in a sense we are with them. And the Bible tells us to weep with those who weep. And to suffer with those who suffer. And to rejoice with those who rejoice. And today at this very moment there are 200 million Christians at this moment being persecuted for their faith. And they are part of us. And we are part of them. And what the Word of God commands us this day is that we would remember them. It's hard to do now being part of the American church. I don't fault any of us for being born in America or part of the American church. That's where God has put us. But we are very blessed in America. You must know that no matter what you think about politics or anything else. If you're a Christian, you had better count your blessings. Because in America, we can praise the Lord freely so far. In America, we can gather publicly and preach the Word of God and lift up the name of Jesus. It is not so in many countries around the world. And we have a tremendous privilege as as American Christians. Jesus said, though, to he whom has been given much, much is required. American church, you have been given much in privilege. The danger is that we in privilege often fall into complacency. Because we don't experience persecution. Oh, we say we do. You know what I mean. Someone at work at the water cooler says, you're a Christian, that's so lame. And we think, oh, persecuted. It's not persecution, man. It doesn't count. We, because we don't experience persecution, oftentimes are just not mindful of our brothers and sisters worldwide that do. Jesus said that a sign of His coming 
A sure sign that we are living in the last days would be rampant persecution to the church in the world. He said in Matthew 24, 9. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. By all nations. It's coming to America. By all nations. This year there was persecution in Australia against Christians. Violent persecution. There's not a country on the face of the earth that is closer uh, to America uh, sociologically than Australia. I'm telling you, it's coming here. Jesus said in the last days, all nations would hate his disciples. Jesus said in John 15, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. All these things they will do to you for my namesake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Then the Apostle John went on to write in 1 John 3, Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. As I said today at this moment, 200 million Christians worldwide are being persecuted for their faith. And what that is, is sure evidence that there are two kingdoms in this world. There is the kingdom of God, which is otherworldly of which we are members. Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul wrote in Philippians. There is the kingdom of God, and then there is the kingdom of this world, which is contrary to the kingdom of God. And it is headed up by the prince of the power of the air, Satan, according to the New Testament. And these two kingdoms are in direct opposition to each other. And a manifestation of that is the persecution of the people of Jesus Christ. It is an absolute indicator that there are two opposing kingdoms when we see the church persecuted. Throughout history, persecution has been directed toward the church from religious leaders, from governments, and from the general population. We see very early on in the book of Acts, after the birth of the church, that religious leaders started persecuting the church. Namely, there in the book of Acts, the Jewish religious leaders. Acts 5, verse 18, concerning the Jewish religious leaders, says, And they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. Later on, not, not too far after in the development of the church, we see government-sanctioned persecution against the church. Acts 12, verses 1-3. through 3. It says, now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, a brother of John, put to death with a sword. And he proceeded to arrest Peter also. A little further down the road in the book of Acts, we see persecution now directed at the church from the general population. It says in Acts 16, concerning Paul and Silas, and the crowd rose up together against them. And the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So we see in the early days of the church, there's persecution from religious leaders, there is government-sanctioned persecution, and there is persecution from the general population. And so it has been for the 2,000 years of church history. And so it is today. 
Today we see persecution against the church from religious leaders within Islam in all sorts of countries around the world. We see persecution directed against the church of Jesus Christ by Hindus in places like India and Pakistan where churches are burned and Christians are kidnapped and killed and beaten and tortured for their faith. We also see government-sanctioned persecution in places like China and Eritrea. Did you know that in Eritrea, Africa, that at this moment there are over 2,000 Christians who are being held in metal storage containers? Some of them have been there for years. In unbearable heat, stuffed in like cattle, to metal storage containers, government-sanctioned persecution against the church. China, Eritrea, Laos, North Korea. North Korea is the number one nation in the world when it comes to persecuting Christians. So we see persecution against Christians from religious leaders. We see it government-sanctioned. And we also see from the general population. The tone and the tenor of the general population being anti-Christian in places like Sudan and Turkey and Saudi Arabia and Pakistan and oftentimes in India and Indonesia and a multitude of other nations. It may amaze you to hear that since the birth of the church until now, more than 70 million Christians have been killed for their faith. 200 million suffering, as I said previously, at this moment. It is estimated that this year, 160,000 Christians will be murdered because of the name of Jesus Christ. That is one every three and a half minutes. You don't read about that in the newspaper. You don't see that on CNN. But every three and a half minutes, a Christian is killed simply for being a Christian. Now, having given you some statistics, it's very important for us then to remind ourselves that these people are not statistics. It's very important that we remind ourselves that they are not victims either. Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for my name's sake. Nor are they heroes per se. You know who they are? They're our brothers and sisters. We are one body with them. These are our brothers and sisters in faith and by the blood of Jesus Christ. And they are real people. They have names. They have faces. They have hearts. They have hurts. They have moms and dads and sons and daughters. And they have wounds and they have scars. And we are one with them. I want to introduce you to a few of them right now. In the Middle East, they're called infidels. Communist officials in China label many of them counter-revolutionaries. Washington would refer to them as victims of human rights violations. And to some, they're just statistics. But to us, they're family. 
The fact is, millions of Christians are currently at risk for their faith in over 40 nations around the globe. Their children, pastors, and lay people. They may be Asian, African, or Arab. More importantly, they're our brothers and sisters. They share our faith, and like us, are children of our Heavenly Father. For this, they suffer some of the worst persecution since the days of the apostles. The following four testimonies give us a glimpse into today's persecuted church. These represent countless others, each with their own unique story. It was early morning in Sudan. Members of the Baria tribe in the equatorial region had just risen in their small village. Before they had time to react, Islamic soldiers had surrounded their huts. It was about 5 o'clock in the morning. They burned down our entire village and watched the soldiers beat our parents. Three elderly men had died. I was among 27 children that were taken, 14 girls and 13 boys. They brought us to a military barracks about two hours from our village. It was called Station 30. Some of the children would never leave Station 30. It was there that they became martyrs for Christ. We were arrested and taken to an underground cell. At 7 o'clock that night, we were taken out of the cell, one by one. We were humiliated and tortured. That evening, they tied our hands together and began to beat us. They asked me to become a Muslim. I just prayed to God and refused. I thought I was going to die. I was beaten and placed in front of a hole outside the cell which was burning with charcoal they had removed from the bakery. They hit me behind my neck and with my hands tied behind my back, they forced me to lay on the burning coals. Each of the 13 boys went through similar treatment. With their hands tied, they were held over burning coals. Each of the boys had the same opportunity, deny Christ, and the tortures will stop. I was captured with the other boys. They beat me so bad that I fell unconscious. My legs were tied to my neck and they held my body over burning coals, but I refused to become a Muslim. The only thing they asked of me was to become a Muslim. They told me that they would burn me until I died if I did not change my faith. So I agreed to die. I would not deny Christ. When asked how they could endure the fiery coals, the young Christians said that the torture only lasted for five or ten minutes, and then they would pass out from the pain. Others said God gave them strength. I fell unconscious shortly after they laid me on the fire. No longer felt the fire burning my body. I do not know how long I was on the fire. They pulled me out before I would die. The most tragic account took place the following evening when the soldiers brought all the boys out together. Four of the youngest boys were selected. Each of them was less than nine years of age. One boy was only five. They brought us out again and said, Now that you have refused to become a Muslim, some of you will die. They took the four youngest and began to beat them. They had not been given any food or water. They were asked again to convert to Islam. Each of them said they were Christian and belonged to the Christian church. They would not deny their faith. The younger prisoners had their hands and feet securely tied behind their backs. 
They were laid on their stomachs and beaten with the intent of forcing the boys to reject their Christian faith and become Muslims or face death at the hands of their assailants. You could hear them crying. They just cried. You could also hear them calling out for God to save them. One by one, the four children went to meet their Savior. One by one, they refused to deny Christ. The younger four boys were beaten to death. They told us that we would be next if we did not become Muslims. That night, the remaining nine boys made their escape. To not run away would have meant certain death. We watched our four brothers die because they refused to become Muslims. That evening we began to talk about what had happened, and I said to the others, we will surely die like our young brothers who did not escape. So late that night, we broke open the door of our cell and began to run. I was very weak the night we escaped. The others awoke me and forced me to run, but I collapsed. My brothers had to carry me. The nine young men are now safe in a refugee camp outside of Nimale. The torture may be over, but their scars of faith remain. Sudan is the largest African nation. With a goal of Islamicizing the entire nation, the National Islamic Front has stopped short of nothing in an attempt to eliminate Christianity and other faiths that don't agree with its fundamentalistic ideology. Christians have been imprisoned, tortured, and martyred. Children have been sold as slaves or concubines. In spite of the assaults on Christian communities, the church continues to grow. In fact, it is currently the fastest growing church in any Islamic nation. And while Sudanese believers pray for peace, they continue to encourage the faithful, young and old, to stand firm, even in the face of death. Communism. For decades, its atheistic form of government has plagued the earth with as much as one-third of the world's population under its grip. Communism's designer, Karl Marx, stated, the idea of God is the keynote of a perverted civilization. It must be destroyed. Many believe communism, along with its ideology, was defeated with the destruction of the Berlin Wall. Hmong believers who have been imprisoned in Vietnam and Laos tell a different story. As the largest tribe in Southeast Asia, the Hmong have been targeted by the communist government because of the rapid growth of Christianity. Hmong pastors remain in prison today. Some have reported having had boiling water poured down their throats for simply possessing a Bible in their language. In a secret meeting recently in central Vietnam, Hmong Christians spoke of the persecutions they've endured. More importantly, they testify to the faith which sustains them. They Local authorities arrested a number of Hmong believers in Hazan. Brother Chu Chang is still in prison until now. And there is no one to take care of his family. In Lei Chao, there are 23 Hmong pastors in prison. In Hazan and Baktai village, the authorities feel threatened because so many Hmong people became Christians. 
They beat them in an attempt to force the Christians to return to their worship of evil spirits. The Hmong Christians refused to go back to their formal traditions, so they remain in jail. In North Vietnam, where I live, a Hmong Christian was called and questioned by the police as to why he believed in Jesus Christ. When he explained why he believed, the officials grew so angry that they killed him by piercing his mouth with a knife. I thank God that we, the Hmong people of Kabang, heard the good news of Jesus Christ in 1990, and in 1991 we became Christians. The local police forbade us to become Christians, threatening to put us in jail and even kill us. They want us to go back to worshiping evil spirits, but we now know that the only right way is to believe in Jesus Christ. So if we are to die for Christ's sake, we're willing to die. With the rapid growth of the Hmong Church, Vietnamese officials have stepped up their attempts to control or even eradicate these fellowships. The government considers Christianity a foreign religion and feels threatened by the unity and faith experienced by the Hmong Christians. The Hmong believers simply want to worship Christ freely. I have been a Christian and persecuted so long that I no longer fear what the authorities can do to me. I thank God for my Bible. I have studied it, and I know James 1:12 says that those who endure suffering will receive the crown of life. I believe this. I have peace of mind regardless of what my body suffers. The authorities raid and persecute Hmong Christians so heavily that it is difficult for them to endure. Please pray for the Hmong brothers and sisters that they will remain faithful to Christ. Also pray that God would open the hearts of our leaders to give us the freedom to worship like many other Christians have. I thank God that since we became Christians, we have been persecuted so many times for our faith, and we have remained strong. I do believe that the persecution is just a test of our faith in Jesus Christ. It brings out the silver and the gold. Please remember to pray for us, that we will be faithful till the end. With all earthly possessions at risk, the Hmong Christians' value system is built on things that last. One of these being their commitment to follow Jesus Christ. The Hmong tribes may be a simple people living off the land in the mountainous regions of Southeast Asia, yet their faith and dedication to Christ and His Word equal that of any Christian community. Every year, an estimated two million Muslims make a pilgrimage to Mecca, one of two Islamic holy cities in Saudi Arabia. With a strict adherence to Sharia or Islamic rule, the country remains largely Muslim. Islam is the state religion, and by law, all citizens are to be Muslims. Foreign tourism is highly discouraged, and no known missionary would ever obtain a visa. In fact. Anyone caught converting a Muslim to another faith is subject to the death penalty. On the outside, Saudi Arabia would appear to be totally isolated from any form of Christian witness. But on the inside, a small band of unconventional missionaries facing great risks are bringing the light of Jesus Christ into one of the world's darkest nations. The Philippines is the greatest labor force of domestic helpers hosted all over the world. In every royal house, 
in every house of any distinction in the whole planet, there must be a Filipino made. These Filipinos are reared in Christianity. And you know, they are now raising on their laps the next generation of royals, of executives, of opinion, and world leaders. I believe beyond the songs, there are more things being taught and whispered into those young ears. It's where missionaries cannot go, where broadcasts are not heard, where the Bible is screened at the door, the maids enter the very inner private chambers of these people, and they bring with them the Christian faith. It's one of the very few things that we will not let go of, our faith. Recognizing the potential impact of a Christian witness in this restricted Islamic state, government officials have sought to expel all Filipino Christ followers from their country. Prior to 1998, many were tortured and imprisoned for long periods of time. One of those was Donato Lama, who was imprisoned and tortured over a 17-month period. His crime was leading a Christian prayer meeting. They kicked me, they punched me, stabbed me. I was offered to be Muslim. It's very important to be Muslim. I want to be Muslim. They will release you well. As soon as they know that you are Muslim, correct? You are converted to Muslim. Then I hold on to my faith to our Lord that because I was persecuted, I was imprisoned because of my Christian faith. With over 600,000 expatriates working in Saudi Arabia, no form of Christian worship is allowed. Guest workers are told before arriving in Saudi Arabia to leave their faith behind. Believers have no choice but to meet secretly in homes, knowing the many risks that surround them. Way back when we were doing underground uh, church work there, we thought we would be beheaded. In the people's minds, they were ready for such a sacrifice. While extreme cases of persecutions are isolated, many Christians have recently been detained, some enduring weeks or even months of interrogations before being deported back to the Philippines. Yolia was nine months pregnant when her husband was expelled from Saudi Arabia for leading a small Bible study. Although well along in her pregnancy, Yolia was held in custody for over eight weeks. They told me, you have two choices. You will deliver in jail if you will not cooperate with us, or you will deliver in this hospital if you will cooperate with us. They wanted to get the names of the pastors in the kingdom. They wanted to know how big the church in Saudi Arabia is. They asked me, why are you doing this? You came here to work. Yes, we are here to work, but as much as you wanted your religion to be propagated in my country, so I wanted also to share my faith to, this, to the people in this country. And then they did not like my answer. <laughs> Yolia believes the barrier between the Christians and Muslims is breaking down due to the love, sacrifice, and servanthood of the Christian guest workers. Often working at the lowest levels of society, the courageous witness of these humble believers is making a difference. We are willing to lose our jobs. And even if, if we need to go to the most of losing our lives, we just want to share the gospel to them. In promoting biblical wisdom, the writer of Proverbs states that a small lizard, perhaps insignificant to man and easily caught, uses its size to make a way into the king's palaces. These Filipino Christians of Saudi Arabia, although servants, are helping dispel the darkness by sharing the light of Christ. 
people are leaving the country because of economic difficulty. But later on when they go to other countries, they realize that there is a higher calling, a calling to become missionaries. Guys, it's really heavy, I know. But we cannot ignore this reality. We've got to do something, wouldn't you agree? The Word of God tells us exactly what to do. The Bible says that we are to remember and to pray. To remember and to pray. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that we are to suffer with those who suffer. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. The Bible tells us in Colossians, Paul writing, says, Remember my imprisonment. And then as we read in Hebrews 13, Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves are also in the body. And so we set aside this day to remember because they're part of us. We're, we're connected to them. We can't forget. We can't ignore this reality. And then we've got to be proactive about it. And so the tool that the Lord has given us is to pray. We see in the book of Acts when Peter was arrested, it says in Acts 12, so Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. And so today we need to pray. That was always the request of Paul when he was in prison. In Romans 15, he said, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered. That word uh, where it says strive there in the Greek is where we get our word agonize. We're to agonize about these things and in these things in prayer. 2 Corinthians 1, you also joining and helping us through your prayers that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, finally brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified, and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men. And then Paul says in Philippians 1, For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance, he said while imprisoned, through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And so the biblical models, when one of our own is imprisoned or tormented for the faith, that we come alongside them in prayer. And the biblical promise is that prayer changes things. If you don't believe that, you don't believe the Bible. It is written in the pages from Genesis to Revelation that prayer changes things. And today we will be agreeing in prayer with millions of Christians around the world. And as we agree in prayer, you know the Father hears us. You know He's going to respond. I believe that captives are going to be set free. I believe that children will be comforted whose mom and dad have been martyred. I believe that those who are suffering emotionally and physically will be comforted by the presence of the Holy Spirit. I believe that Christians who have been terrorized will be strengthened to preach the gospel in the face of adversity. I believe these things if we'll join in prayer. God will do these things in response to prayer. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much, James wrote. And when we pray for the persecuted church, it is one time that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are praying according to God's will. And it says in 1 John chapter 5, this is the confidence we have before Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, we have that thing for which we asked. God's going to respond today as we agree with millions, as we pray. And so when you came in, we gave you this handout. 
And on the back side, about halfway down, it tells you ways to pray. And so what we're going to do in just a moment is you're, you're going to turn around and grab the people behind you. You're going to grab the people in front of you. You're going to get in little clusters, little groups, and we're going to begin to pray. And we've given you some suggestions here. Pray for those in prison that they would know they're not forgotten. Pray that the needs of the families of the martyrs would be met abundantly. Pray that Christians would love those who are persecuting them. Pray that persecuted Christians would preach the gospel bravely. Pray that the government officials would be drawn into a relationship with Christ. Pray for restricted nations to be opened. And there's many other ways that you could think of to pray. Maybe it's a little bit outside your comfort zone. I understand that. But wouldn't you agree that this is not the time to be concerned about comfort? It really isn't, man. So maybe you're not used to praying out loud in a group of people. I just encourage you, get outside your comfort zone today. Maybe you say, I don't know what to pray. It's like this. Lord, I pray for those in prison that they would know they're not forgotten. Amen. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. And you're thinking, well, I, well, well you know, why would I participate in this? I'm not a Christian. Listen, I believe that you've seen today that Jesus Christ is real. I don't think you could deny that in face of what you've heard today. I think that your first move is to fall on your face and repent before the God who made you and ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And then, brother, you can pray for the first time like you want to believe. But it's our duty and our privilege and our honor to intercede for the persecuted church today. I want you to lift up your voices. Don't feel like you need to whisper. I want you to lift up your voices. Cry out for our brothers and sisters who are bleeding for the faith today. Church, pray. Grab the people around you. Don't let anybody be left out. Turn around, grab little groups, and begin to intercede for the church.